Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invite you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you on Wednesday, uh, August, whatever it is. I think it's the 25th. Absolutely. So uh, uh, welcome to Still Growing Grace. Today, we're going to continue in our our mini-series on what about heaven. Let's discuss this concept of heaven. If you missed last week, you got to go back and watch. It was a very profound story of mercy and grace and forgiveness. I called heaven coming down. <laughs> it was quite quite powerful. But uh, this morning, uh, let's dive right in. Let's uh, listen in on the discussion with Richard Murray and Bill Thrasher. And I think you're going to really enjoy this one. So let's just dive right in and see what's up. All righty. We're back to a continuing conversation of uh, what is heaven. Last time we, we had the story of heaven coming to earth in a profound way and story of forgiveness and, and grace. That was really cool. Thank you, Richard, for sharing that with us. Um, but it's time to dig in. Somebody actually asked a question when I aired the last uh, session two um, on second Peter three verses 10 to 13. And as I reread it, even this afternoon, I went, Eek, that's a scary. No, it's not. No, it oh, is. No, if it's I'm reading it th- <laughs> If I'm reading it through just normal human lenses, like what? Because I grew up in the church, right? The church world reads this and it scares the crap out of them. So let's find grace in it. Help me, help us understand this, guys. Let's rip it apart. Have fun. Well, we just ended with a, a story of forgiveness in the courtroom. If you didn't watch that, go back and watch that. Because I think there's some dovetail here. I, I really do. I was sitting there reading this as Richard was talking, and I was like seeing things kind of happen. And granted, in our translations of modern scripture, sometimes, and especially the presuppositions we have maybe from an evangelical bent, where we got hell and we got heaven and we got you know, God with his big book and you're not in it. So you go down the down escalator or you are in it, you go up the escalator, you know, you got all that kind of imagery. And then you you read that through that filter. And yeah, you're right, Mike, then this is really scary. But when we, we start to, you know, disassemble those images, we start to understand love from a Jesus centered point of view and that the, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection are really the foundational uh, moments and in between those two things what happens on the cross where jesus says forgive them father they don't know what they're doing he draws all creation into himself he never counts trespasses against anyone he's the full representation of god on the cross and we reuse that as our filter and we start realizing a lot of these metaphors of fire and and um things are more passion related about being for us restor- restorative not punitive and we start to read these things through that lens, not only does it become less scary, it becomes actually, I don't know, exciting in my opinion. You know, I've, I've thought before about uh, the concept of nightmares. You know, you can be having a good dream and a de- I've had dreams where I've laughed and I've ro- frolicked and rollicked and had fun. And I've had dreams where, you know, everything was just terror, sheer terror. And yet, 
in the nightmares, something could still be happening that wasn't really that bad, but it was, it was the nightmare ambience. It was the nightmare atmosphere that was surrounding it. And I wonder sometimes with the way scripture is written and even how a particular interpretation of it might read, you know, it's kind of like Moses. We, we've talked about this before, but you know, when God told Moses to speak tenderly to the rock, what did he do? He, he smote it in anger Hello, and, he mis- and he misrepresented the nature of God. And that was the sin that kept Moses out of the promised land. God oh, told him, man, say that again. To- say that again. That yeah. people need to hear well, what you just said. Yeah. Well, God, t- God told Moses to, to speak to the rock and water would gush out and the people would be, their thirst would be filled because, and they would see God's love for them. But then Moses turns around and, and uh, he sees the people complaining. So he goes off, he reacts, he, his triggers pull. And he says, uh, how long must God and I put up with you evil, uh, you know, evil ingrates, something to that effect. And, and then he strikes the rock out of anger with his, with his staff and water does come out, but what he's misrepresented God because now he's angry. They see God is angry and that the same God that fed him thirst was just as likely to smite him with his staff, you know, if they didn't straighten up. So, uh, but, but, uh, God comes to him and comes to Moses. That's what that sin is what kept Moses out of the promised land the failure to sanctify his name, to set apart his name and his nature. You know, the, the biggest, that's why all this goodness thing is going on right now with all of us, because there we, we have been getting a corporate revelation that you cannot mess with the nature of God. If you mess with it, you're, you're failing to sanctify it. So, all these things we're committed to, all three of us, I know this, we're committed to sanctifying the true nature of Jesus. And the true nature of Jesus doesn't strike rocks. It speaks to rocks. It calls forth. It gets struck by staffs. All right. The nature of Jesus certainly gets struck by staffs, but it doesn't do any striking. You know, it forgives and it heals and it turns the other cheek, walks the extra mile, gives the extra garment. You know, it calls down rain on the just and the unjust so that everyone can have needed, you know, needed water. I mean, that that's the perfection of God that Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount was the way he treated his enemies. And and and, and you talk about forgiveness. Where is that mentioned? I mean, how important would that be? And how you what's the first thing you're supposed to do to your enemies? Forgive them. Though they know not what they do. You know, I was thinking with Bill when you were talking about Cain and Abel, that Abel, you know, the, the, the vengeance that was cried up. Well, what did Jesus vengeance cry for? Forgive yeah. them, for they know not what they do. He did just the opposite. He undid was, it. He undid yes, it. He undid yes, it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so forgiveness is undoing the toxic elements of, of what makes this, what yeah. keeps heaven from being here. It's so awesome because so much of the Old Testament is riddled with this. You're right, the, the, the striking of the rock, the blood crying for vengeance, the, the son of of. of yeah, Cain, you know, then saying 70 times 70 vengeance and Jesus coming back and saying 70 times 70 yeah. forgiveness, right? Yes. He does it all. And that's what he does over and over and over, restoring an image of God that we needed, saving us, right? Sozos into who God actually is, not from God, into God. Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's look at that verse, Mike. Do you have it? Do you want to pull it up? Or I do. Yep. Um, I have it in uh, five translations. Which one do you want? I got New Living, New American. I know the living, New Living is really perverted, so why don't we use that one? Can I say I something real yeah. quick? Can this- I say something? Because I, I didn't finish my point about the nightmare. I want to make sure oh, I good. finish that point. Yeah. Just the, the idea that when, if, if we have, we're so trained to be fearful. You know, church trains us to be fearful. 
of the, of the wrath of God, of the vengeance of God. And if we do have fear in us, then we can have a nightmare perception of things. And when we read certain passages, Revelation can be this way. You have, you have a fear, you have a, a, a penal fear of God's punishments. Then you can read something and it's like you're in a nightmare. Get me out of this nightmare. Revelation reads like a nightmare unless you got the joy of the Lord on you. Then it reads like a big, a big, wonderful story that's full of all sorts of conflicting images and fun and, and, and uh, you know, worship scenes and all this. And, um, you know, so I, I always sometimes before we before we read scripture, we need to make sure that we're not bringing our human fear, our toxic fear, because that can distort our understanding. This isn't a nightmare. Nothing in the new covenant is a nightmare. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Everything we read here comes from a spirit of fearlessness. And when we read it that way, then I think all that, all this muck will drop off. It seems to sound scary. This is a perfect example of what you're talking about. This is a nightmare verse if we read it from that point of view. And you can just almost do just 10. because I, think I have it ready when you're, when you're if ready. You recreate, if we correct verse 10, then the whole passage beyond it is going to be reframed from everything. But the New Living, if you bring it up, Mike, it is, yep. it's Here. so bent from that presupposition, that nightmare presupposition you just talked about. Go ahead. Can you see that? Yeah, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Okay, is that good or bad? I think that could be neutral, right? Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. Well, again, that's really not what it says, but we'll get to that. And the very elements of themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything, and it will be found to deserve judgment. See, there it is, judgment. Oh, right? And some, some say instead of disappear in fire, say we'll say destroyed in fire, other translations. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, right? Destroyed and disappeared, by the way, are the same word. Interesting, they didn't use disappeared the second time. They, they changed it, right? What, whole, what is holy and godly, or like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, okay? Looking forward to the day of God or in hurrying it along. On that day, that comes unexpectedly, right? He will set the heavens on fire. That sounds bad. And the elements will melt away in the flames. Melt away is the same word again as disappear and destroyed, by the way. But when you're looking forward to the new heavens and new earth, as he's promised, a world filled with God's righteousness, right? Okay. So I was looking up some of the words here. So the destroy, disappear, melt away, same word, all three translations or all, all three places. The word is rooted in L-U-O. I'm not even going to try it or in Greek. It means unleashed or unbound or untied or freed. That that sounds a lot better than destroyed, <laughs> right? Doesn't it? So yes. Fire is unleashing something, but, not destroying. But the Bible plainly says. <laughs> but it doesn't plainly say. <laughs> we, we've taken a word that literally translates to untied or unleashed. And it can be mean disassembled also, which I guess can be means, you know, destroyed in a way. But that's not the connotation of the word. The connotation is unleashed, right, or untied. That's what it literally means. So if the fire is untying something or unleashing something or unbounding something, that means something's been bound up, which is very much the word of religiosity, right? Real Religion means to bind something up. Religare. So well, how I'm reading this is as expectedly as a thief in the night. I think this is twofold for me. You can agree or disagree with me. I think this is an individual 
spiritual revelation for each believer or pre-believer, right? And I think it may also be a corporate thing happening simultaneously at some point in the, I don't know, fullness of time. I hate saying future because I don't. I think it's an it's an ongoing event. But for me, this also has a spiritual personal that is, as quickly as a thief will come in the night, my light bulb will go off. And the fire, the love of God is going to unbound the works I have. And it, it, the judgment actually means, the word there means to be found. That is not crisis. That is not the word crisis. This is the word to be found. And if you look at other translations, it says... <laughs> Discovered. It says the works will not be discovered. In other words, works, your works, your actions, your efforts, your self-righteousness, it has no no more place. It's going to be burned away. Yeah, because the the uh, yes. the little A, it says the other manuscripts will read, will be burned up. One early manuscript reads, will be found destroyed. Will be found and destroyed. Yeah, or destroyed. So in other words, your works are going to be destroyed, and all that's going to be left is something else. And when it really gets down to it into verse 13, it's, it's righteousness. But whose righteousness? Not our righteousness. There's an implication there that's not written, but we know the story. The answer is always the same. Whether That's the old Sunday school answer. Well, what's the answer to this? Jesus. <laughs> right? Squirrel. Squirrel. Yeah. Richard's like, what? Because he wasn't a part of that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right? Uh, Paul Gray, we were on another little talk the other day, and he had a Sunday school teacher ask him about an animal, and then she was describing it. It was a Sunday school lesson about it's a gray animal. It's small. It's man's red hair, and it's got a bushy tail, collects nuts, goes into trees, runs around. What's it called? And he raised his hand and said, Jesus. And she said, what? And he goes, every question you ever answer, ask us, the answer is always Jesus. So the answer is Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> <So> squirrel equals <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, if if um, what I think is, uh, can you put the verse back up there real quick? Yep. What I find interesting is is the part of it that we don't emphasize, um, which is uh, thirteen. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world yeah. filled with God's righteousness. What? That's the doggone payoff. Yeah. You know, that's it, it, to the extent that whatever it is is destroyed is a what's obstructing verse 13 from happening. So who wouldn't want verse 13? That's the, a glorious promise. Absolutely. But let me but let me ask the two of you this. Who do you think had more of a problem with anger? Who would be more likely to strike the rock in the New Testament, Paul or Peter? Uh, both. Well, I, I think I Peter, I think Peter. Peter? Yeah, Peter, you know, had the anger issue. He's the firecracker. All right. So, so let's, so I would, if, if you'll let me, I'd like to turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 and give you the same version of what he's talking about here, but maybe with a little less, a little less testosterone on it. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to read you just two sections from 1 Corinthians 15. And he's talking about the coming of the Lord, the day of the, this same event. Yep. Uh, and in verse 22, for just as, uh, for since it was through a man that death came into the world, it is also through a man that the resurrection of the dead has come. For just as because of their union of nature in Adam, all people die, so also by virtue of their union of nature shall be in Christ and may be made alive. 
but each in his own rank and turn. Christ the Messiah is the first fruits. Then those who are Christ's own will be resurrected at his coming. After that comes the end, the completions, when he delivers the completion, when he delivers over the kingdom to God and the uh, to God the Father, after rendering inoperative and abolishing every other rule and every other authority and power. For Christ must be king and reign until he has put all his father's enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be subdued and abolished is death. For he, the father has put all things in subjection under his Christ's feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection under him, it is evident that he himself is accepted who does the subjecting of all things to him. However, when everything is subjected to him, then the son himself will also subject himself to the father who put all things under him. Now, let me skip over to uh, verse uh, 51. And this is, this is the payoff. This is what Peter's describing, but maybe in Pauline, a little more Pauline nuance. All right. Take notice. I tell you a mystery, a secret truth, an event decreed by the hidden purpose or counsel of God. We shall not all fall asleep in death, but we shall all be changed, transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet call. And that's this trumpet call we're talking about, the but the burning of the elements that Peter says for a trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable from decay. And we shall all be changed and transformed for this perishable part of us must put on the imperishable nature. And this mortal part of us, this nature that is capable of dying must put on immortality, which is freedom from death. Hmm. And when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this, uh, and this that was capable of dying puts on freedom from death, then shall be fulfilled the scripture that says, death is swallowed up, utterly vanquished forever in and unto victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now sin is the sting of death, and sin exercises its power upon the soul through the abuse of the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, making us conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brethren, my beloved brethren, be firm and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always being superior, excelling, doing more than enough in the service of the Lord, knowing and, be, uh, knowing and being continually aware that your labor in the Lord is not futile. It is never, it, it is never wasted or to no purpose. Mm -hmm. So the whole point is death, what's going to be destroyed is death. And whatever this, whatever this thing is, it's going to be destroyed so that the new heavens and the new earth can come down. Where what? Death is evicted. Death has been evicted. Now, I, I might be a little goofy, little goofy yeah, you than are. your average person is as to what this is going to look like. But I believe there's going to be a transformation of all reality. I believe that something in, when death is evicted, and this is a metaphysical thing. I, I'm, I'm telling you, people try to figure it out in our own natural thinking, and it ain't ever going to compute doing that. We have to be ready that when he says everything in the in the twinkling of an eye will change as death is evicted and as uh, mortality puts on immortality. Peter's just describing it a different way. The heavens of the earth of, uh, that, that are fractured, they're going to be burned so that the new heavens and the new earth can come down. A deathless existence will come down. So whatever that means, you know, we can have different views of that and different speculations about it. And that's fine. But how, how wasn't that fun what I read? But, that sounded good. That was but at the end of all of it. It really boils down to to one simple, I guess, uh, fork for, for us as subjective individuals. Do we believe the essence of the creator, the essence of the one who is is doing all these things behind the scenes looks like 
Jesus crucified and resurrected? Or do we believe it looks like some sort of antichrist God, right? And that's the nightmare or that's the, I don't know, <laughs> the other type of dream. <laughs> the ecstatic dream, ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, the twinkling of an eye thing, um, you said a phrase there that I can hear church people already wince at. Like I said at the beginning, reading in the New Living, that sounds scary. And, you know, Bill saying, no, it's not. But I'm sorry, there's still folks that are still looking for a way out for a more hopeful perspective and all this. But you said we got to be prepared or get ready. And I'm thinking, well, I kind of hear that, but I also have a hunch there's nothing we can do to be ready for that, right? Because right now, the church is massively super busy. Jesus is coming back soon. Look busy. You know, like. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but I would say this, that there are so many hints in the New Testament that say that when he comes, when the day of the Lord comes, when Jesus returns, we shall see him because we as the body of Christ shall be like him. We as the bride of Christ will have made ourselves ready. You know why I know that Jesus isn't coming back soon? Because the only time, the only time reference I can see is the maturity of the body of Christ. Yeah. You know, I was about we're to not say mature. that we're not mature. And if I, we're not and, seeing and, each other after as Christ, we ain't even close. Yes, we're not. And listen, I, I believe the Lord can do a quick work with us. And maybe when critical masses hit, you know, we, so, we ought to talk about the hundredth monkey sometime. There's a story without a hundredth monkey, but we can do that another time. But that, but that, mean, that was my point. There's nothing we can do because I can hear the busy whirling wheels go. We can take a break from the doing part. The being ready is yeah. continue to grow in your knowledge and understanding of yes. God's love for us. And yes. for anyway, you know yeah. what I mean? That's the only work we can do that. I, Cause you can't speed it up. And when it blindsides you, you're going to go, what? Well, and Ephesians talks about, you know, the whole beautiful thing of the body of everything growing up into the headship of Christ of all of us in the body of Christ, maturing, maturing up into his headship. And when that happens, and then we'll be, have the unity of the spirit. We don't really have the unity of the spirit. Now we have it in pockets, but we don't have it. We don't have a body. Why? No, no, no. The, the ecclesia, <laughs> the Catholic church, Catholic being universal, but one, right. We, we, we have too many denominations to prove that. <laughs> well, the denomination factor is just a byproduct of, of the, really the, the movement that was built, the Protestant movement, the protest movement, right? Uh, so much of Christianity for the last 500 years has been built on a spirit of protest, right? Oh, and, shoot. I know, but Protestant, right? But I mean, isn't, wait a minute, it's the opposite. Yeah. It's subjection. Jesus subjected himself to us, subjected himself to the Father. He sub the Trinity submitted to humanity. Yes. Amen. So when we get past protest and I, you know, I, this is something that's probably a whole nother conversation, another time for me, protest is, is what our society is built on right now to so many degrees. We're protesting everything. We're walking in the streets and I don't want to say that that doesn't have value, but it goes back to the conversation we just had prior to this one, which is forgiveness. You know, we can rally and raise our fists and strike our rocks demanding the flow of water or we can speak gently into the soul of, of creation herself, and that rock will burst forth with water out of resonant excitement for, for the grace that we recognize that has nothing to do with demand, but has to do everything with release. 
Well, and you know what the, the story I told in the last session about the forgiveness is a perfect yeah. example of this. Yeah. That, that could have happened in the courtroom and then somebody could have struck a rock. The judge could have struck a rock and say, well, I'm going to give you a year. I, I was going to give you three years or five years or whatever, but none of that happened. Nobody struck the rock and, and water gushed out. Water literally gushed out of our eyes, but literally water gushed out mercy all over the courtroom because nobody distorted it, distorted it with, with anger, you know, with, with projections of anger and inner anger. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also no tone from what you shared, zero tone of trying to escape and cop out, right? This young man seemed to be fully ready to take full responsibility. And then grandma steps in too. Yeah. <laughs> if there wasn't already enough openness and grace, now grandma comes in. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Man. That's humility, right? That, that, that's, that's, I don't want to get too deep into that, but you know, there's this self, pride thing kind of going on in some of the deconstruction kind of realm, like love yourself, lift yourself up. And sometimes there is a, there's a humility we have to put on as well. And I'm not saying we don't, we don't understand that, but loving others before we love ourselves releases that. Grandma took a risk. She took a risk of getting in trouble. She may have even known it. Yeah. And I think what Bill just uh, dovetailed with what Bill said there, I, I think our, our posture is not so much to talk up ourselves, yeah. but to, to not think about ourselves at all, to be so focused on others that we're, we've lost that self-consciousness that Adam and Eve have, yeah. where they're aware of their nakedness. Because when we're really focused on, you know, when we're really focused on forgiveness and forgiving others and, and others' well-being, we're not thinking of ourselves. You know, I, I find that when I think too much of myself, I'm, 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 I'm going to end up in a bad place, you know. And, um, and Thinking and, of yourself too much. Yes. 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 Too self-centered. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily, well, but, but even with all the, the stuff Bill was talking about, about, you know, we're God, you know, pumping ourselves up saying we're God and stuff like that. It really comes down to, I love the Philippians passage where Jesus said he didn't, he didn't even go around, you know, he emptied himself and he didn't go around claiming to be equal with God, although he was, you know, and, and, and I think because he was so focused on the father's will and so focused on blessing and loving and curing, that he didn't even think about himself. He didn't even like to talk about himself very much other than when the father would put it in him, you know, to declare, you know, to, to declare his divinity. But it was, it was always, you know, it, it was always at an angle, you know, it was never right up in your face. Well, even that you know, I'm God, you better fulfill. worship me as God. Yeah, that was simply to fulfill the things that were prof- prophesying who he was so we would know that he is the image of the father right and that was the intention of when he would say those things wasn't about himself it was about us recognizing that the ultimate image of him becoming as humble as anyone could fully pouring himself out literally blood and body is the essence of god he wasn't lifting himself up to be praised he was lifting himself up to yield love to others to the very ends of his breath and, and blood. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, and there were so many times, you know, we, I printed something yesterday about the messianic secret where Jesus would tell people not to tell it, you know, what's yeah. happening. You don't tell, keep it yeah. a secret. Don't tell anybody, you know, it's more special, but you know, it, it's, I don't know, just nothing. He did nothing. expected. All, all this is the essence of heaven. I, I keep going back to that. This, this thing that is seemingly so distant, in, in culture, right? That when we die, then we'll get to experience that. I just, I think if I could encourage anyone watching this, asking questions about heaven, and I think there is a postmortem 
continuance of what we can start now. For some people, maybe it starts then, but that the whole point of having coming to earth, you know, even as we say in the Lord's Prayer, you know, isn't about hoping that one day we'll get to experience something better, but beginning to see those things in the here and now. And I think Jesus is a perfect example of someone who walked with that type of vision, who walked with that time of awareness, even in the points where he was exhausted, exhausting his own life. He said, surely you will be with me in paradise today to the man sitting next to him on the, on the cross. That, that's now. Like, that, that's something that we still as humans, I think, struggle with. Yeah, I like uh, I like the concept of, uh, oh man, shoot! I just had it just went away. Oh darn, lost <laughs> it. Sorry, just had it. Keep going. Sorry. CRS disease, right? Pardon? CRS? No, no. Never I was heard. I was thinking about um, CRS disease. Can't remember shit. Oh. Pl- <laughs> 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 no, I was <laughs> I was I was trying to think of this becoming less right not um or the here it is the kingdom of heaven so as it is in heaven right we pray mm-hmm. on earth so what if heaven is on its way to continually being joined to earth and it will swallow up earth and that's happening and it's happening in small ways like in the court story it's happening in ways of you know caring for somebody who needs love like there may be that part going on as well and i think this oh, is the really the twist so you can go back and we'll we'll run out of time. Maybe this is where we'll pick up next time. But the twist is in the Jewish culture, the place, the physical place that they believed that heaven and earth were co-joined, were were in complete union, was in one speck of land on a piece of that speck of land inside of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And what was it called? It was torn from top to bottom when Jesus was crucified. And we are now revealed to be the Holy of Holies, every breathing human being. So the flow of heaven from earth isn't coming from outside in. It's coming from inside out. So somebody said until heaven and earth passes away, none of this is going to change or, you know, heaven and earth will be destroyed. Have you heard any response to that? Because I've heard a better end times perspective on that than anything. And that was the temple, what you just described, was destroyed. Heaven and earth is what they called it, was utterly destroyed in a what whole new era. It. What they called it. Yes. And, it, and it's, it's now the new kingdom has come, awareness, me, and the heaven is now flowing from here. Heaven to earth, it, we are the vessels. Yep, the and that rock, when that rock came, it filled the whole earth. Right? Mm. Took, down, took down every kingdom. Every kingdom will fall. It's not about kingdoms, as in political, world, country kingdoms, powerhouses, military. It is the kingdom of Christ coming, smashing it all, and it will just keep growing. It wins. Yeah, and, and I think the fundamental thing to remember when that Peter passage talks about judgment is we, we need to reorchestrate the meaning of judgment. Mm. You know, that's there. There are end time revelations. There are seals that haven't been released, you know, and I think when we you know, when we when we get awakened from a nightmare, it's a good thing. And I think that we've labored under nightmare visions of God and he is awakening us. And I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, when we and that there's been a nightmare ambience over the word judgment and over mm. the word wrath. And over the word fear, these things are nightmare dynamics. 
But yet when we're, it's like the Holy Spirit's waking us up, you know, just splashing some water on us on each of these terms saying, no, 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 no. Let me show you what judgment really is. And judgment is cures. Mm. You know, I, I come, yeah, I've come to, I've come to judge you by curing you, right. you know, because I love you. You know, that's, I'm not called to judge you and destroy you because I hate you. You know, my judgment is, is my judgment restores my judgment. That's the way God judges. Right. But we need to be wake up from the nightmare. And we're trying to wake people up. And sometimes people are grouchy when you try to wake them up from nightmare. No. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's, are you guys good with continuing this next time? Sure. Okay. Well, it's been good. I, I could keep going for a while. This is, this can have great little rabbit trails that are like, what? Uh, <laughs> you guys tremendously encourage me just having these conversations. It's inspiring. It's encouraging. It lifts up the spirit, the soul in me. And I'm certain uh, those watching uh, are also encouraged. So thank you for taking time uh, whenever we do this. Happy to be here. All right. That's it, folks. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Until then. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that. Oh, my goodness. That could have gone on and on. <laughs> oh, boy. All the rabbit trails that can come from this kind of content. I love it. I love working with those guys and having those conversations. And we're, we're going to have different guests on here uh, in the coming uh, time. Um, I've got uh, an interview right after this live presentation is finished. Um, I'm hoping to record two shows with uh, some dear friends I want to introduce you to. Many of you know who they are, but many of you do not. So this is going to be really, really good. I, uh, I, I'm. If you have not seen the previous uh, uh, episode, I think it's today is uh, Still Growing Grace episode 92. Go back to 91, um, which is last week's. Uh, Jordan, I see you're watching. Uh, he says forgiveness is super powerful. Absolutely, it's one of uh, it's one of the core themes that excites me that comes from knowing who God is. And, it, and forgiveness doesn't have to look religious. The Christian church has made forgiveness religious and tried to make it their own flag. And it's, it's not the church's flag. It's the humanity's flag. And that, that's huge. Uh, but yeah, I think, Jordan, if you watch the uh, uh, 91, you're, you're going to be blown away with an incredible story uh, that'll actually fit probably something that, uh, that you air in your program um, whenever you do it. I, th I think it's, it, it perfectly dovetails. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, Sandra, good morning from the UK. Mark and Joy in Guelph. Yay! Good to see you guys there. It's awesome. Uh, and then we have, uh, Judy just, uh, chiming in. Hey, Judy, where do you live? Um, I'm just curious. Uh, she writes, it is all grace and yes. And again, one of the things I love to keep pounding is the idea that grace is a person named Jesus. And I know some people don't like that. They think, well, how can you prove grace is a person? How can you really say it is Jesus? And it's like, okay, it, if you're going to read the whole in Houston, okay, thank you. Uh, if you're going to read all of scripture literally and not realize there's imagery all through it, then come on. Um, but I, I really believe grace, the essence of what it is, and it can't be defined in a dictionary definition fully. I think there's more to it. And uh, there's been a couple uh, programs we've done on grace that's really good. In fact, uh, really soon, I'm going to air a four-way discussion uh, that uh, Richard Murray, Sherry Palace, uh, Paul Gray and myself were in 
uh, we were invited to join Sherry in her program, and the the topic was what is grace, and it was really really good. So I'm eager to uh, reshare that in still growing grace. That might happen next week, depending on um, uh, what recordings happen this week. So we'll see what happens. But it's it's busy. If you like this still growing grace, um, thank you uh, for commenting. Um, but I invite you to also support it. You know, I never ask. I actually haven't asked for a long time, probably in two years. I've never asked. But hey, if uh, if your heart uh, tickles your fancy and uh, uh, gives you a, a desire to hate, I want to help this become you know more spread out and and get this news out. Then then send in a donation. The links are in the in the comments below. Do it all there. No pressure because uh, it's by grace. So anyway, I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus for Grace Curriculum for Children. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Now I remember. Okay. I'm a little slow in the morning. I only had one coffee so far. So <laughs> I forgot who you were there. Now it's all clicking. Eek. Okay. I've got to run. You guys have a fantastic day. If you like this, share it, and uh, we'll catch you next Wednesday, 8 a.m. And uh, I think it's only once or twice we end up not having it, but generally it is 8 o'clock every Wednesday morning, and it works. So we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining in, and uh, I hope you have a fantastic week. Thanks. Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.